we've got to ditch the dogma. First of all, we've got to get out of partisan politics. Ditch the dogma. Uh, okay. Ditch yeah. the dogma. Yeah. And just, I think we'll have external factors mm-hmm. that'll force us to act like a team. Okay. Not like two teams competing against each other. Welcome to the Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of Electricity Canada. This is episode 085, number 85 of the Flux Capacitor. This episode was recorded in early November 2023 on Zoom. My guest today is... Lisa DeMarco, a senior partner of Resilient LLP and CEO. Lisa joined me for a deep dive into the world of international climate negotiations and how they inform domestic policy. We talk about Canada's climate commitments, federal-provincial dynamics, how Canada is performing relative to our international commitments, what to expect at COP28 in Dubai, and what a typical day at COP looks like for Lisa and her team. We also touch on AIDA, the International Emissions Trading Association, and the work her firm does with Indigenous Canadians. And we wrap things up with Lisa's recommendation for an addition to the Flux Capacitor Book Club. Here is my conversation with Lisa DeMarco. Lisa, welcome finally to the podcast. I've been trying to get you on for a little while, but you uh, have been incredibly busy, uh, as has the, uh, the climate file for the last couple of years. Maybe we could start off by, for the listener, telling the listener a little bit about Resilient uh, LLP and and the work that the firm does. Uh, and then, boy, there's a lot of places that, that we want to go in the conversation after that. But why don't we start with, uh, with Resilient LLP? Thanks so much. Resilient LLP is a little boutique firm that does just climate, energy transition, and Indigenous law. That's mm-hmm. all we do. And really, the sweet spot is the intersection of the three. And we're a domestic Canadian firm. We work in association with Faskin, so a small boutique with an 800-lawyer back office around the world. Uh And we really do about 80% of our work is international, uh, global climate change work, and about 20% is domestic. Okay. So a a local Canadian firm that is almost exclusively focused on the international front. What does that look like? What are the the sorts of of things that 80% of your time spent uh, internationally? What are the sorts of issues that you're dealing with? We're really involved in the Framework Convention on Climate Change, the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, and the negotiation of it. Mm -hmm. Related energy transition issues globally and all of the transactions and interactions of countries under Article 6 of the Paris Agreement. So both in terms of the voluntary market, but our real focus is the compliance market. So we help countries draft legislation and develop policy in and around climate change and interact with other countries who are like-minded and have a similar view to how they might reach cooperatively the goals of the Paris Agreement. So there's mm-hmm. a fair chunk there. We do do domestic work as well, very mm-hmm. involved on the constitutional side of things and 
domestic energy regulation and regulatory work as well. Mm -hmm. But they're informed by the broader picture of what's going on in the US and mm -hmm. the EU and globally around uh, Africa and Asia. Mm -hmm. So uh, you're no doubt gearing up for the COP, which stands conference for of the Conference of the Parties. This is the 28th Conference of the Parties uh, in uh, in Dubai. Um, what is that one shaping up to look like at this stage? Yeah, it, as you know, uh, as a veteran, Francis, you've been there for so long as well. Uh, yeah. It's five parallel negotiations. Mm -hmm. So we have the meeting of the Conference of the Parties to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. Right. We have the meeting of the parties to the Kyoto Protocol. Canada is no longer a party. And then we have the meeting of the parties to the Paris Agreement. Mm -hmm. And then we have the two subsidiary bodies, the SUBSTA, Scientific Body for Science and Technology Assessment, and the Scientific Body for Implementation, Subsidiary Body for Implementation. So mm -hmm. Lots going on that's theme and variations similar, but not exactly the same in right. each of those five parallel negotiations. And really the big headline issue of this COP, COP28, is around the global stock take. Okay. And in the Paris Agreement, they, they, the rules include uh, really assessing how we're doing at meeting those Paris goals in five-year increments. And when the end of one of those five-year increments falls this year. Mm -hmm. So I think the headline is going to be, we're nowhere near yeah. where we need to be. We are not hitting our targets. And we need to do more faster. And in particular, the next six years, and what are we at now? Two months mm -hmm. are yeah. critical. Anything before 2020 is going to be critical. Yeah. We also expect to see a lot on adaptation and loss and damage and markets and low emission development uh, strategies. There's always acronyms here. They're called mm -hmm. LEDs. Mm -hmm. um, so these are things that are the high level issues. And coming out of last week's uh, G7 carbon markets platform in Tokyo, mm -hmm. we also see a, a sub agenda around facilitating integrity in the markets, um, both in terms of the voluntary market and compliance mm -hmm. market. Mm -hmm. These are okay. big issues. All right. So uh, in terms of in terms of how we're doing, um, uh, your, your, your assessment uh, that, that, that we're, we're off the mark, uh, that's an assessment of how we're doing uh, globally. How would you, today's the day just for the, for the listener, uh, we're recording this on the day when comments are, are due in on uh, the Canada Gazette one of the clean electricity regulations. How's Canada doing uh, relative to both our commitments and relative to uh, to our, our 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 partners internationally? Well, <laughs> let's start there. Well, um, the curve is bending in the right direction. I think mm -hmm. that's the best we can say on the positive front. The curve is definitely bending in the right direction. Um, but in relation to hitting that minus 40 to 42% reduction from 2005 levels um, by 2030, we are not doing great. Mm -hmm. um, we've got a long way to go. 
we have uh, significant developments to, uh, to implement. We've got some good legislation on the books, but the implementation has been challenged. And we have, for example, the income tax credit, positive incentives from last year's budget. And they're not fully implemented yet as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. And we have a number of strategies that are facing friction in relation to the activities of the federal government and the provincial government. And speaking as a you know, nonpartisan policy wonk, mm -hmm. I would love to see both levels of government get on the same page. So much potential for a jurisdiction like Canada that's got great innovation Fantastic CCS, fantastic CCUS, mm -hmm. really doing well on methane reduction. That's one area where we are excelling mm -hmm. globally. I think we're exceeding virtually every other country in terms of our ability to abate methane. Yeah. And we also have a real wealth of resource. We've got fantastic hydro resource. We've got great innovations in renewables across all modalities of renewables. We have a very strong nuclear industry mm -hmm. and we have fantastic energy storage that can really play a differentiating mm -hmm. uh, mix. Also biogas and biomass, we have no shortage of it, right. right? But we've been complicated. Our emissions have been complicated by jurisdictional challenges and implementation and naturally by unprecedented forest fires last mm -hmm. year. So our sinks are damaged. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. The carbon sinks themselves. Yeah. 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 So in terms of those jurisdictional challenges, um, uh, how can we break the log jam or, or where, what is, a, what, is there a solution uh, to to get past the, the headwinds that we're facing right now in the principally federal provincial uh, 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 challenges mm -hmm. right now in this space? We've got to ditch the dogma, first of all. We've got to get out of partisan politics. Ditch uh, the dogma, okay. Ditch yeah. the dogma. Yeah. Ditch the dogma. Mm -hmm. And just, I think we'll have external factors mm -hmm. that'll force us to act like a team, Okay. not like two teams competing against each other. And yeah. one of those external factors are border carbon adjustments. Mm -hmm. The EU's carbon border adjustment mechanism, also known as CBAM, is scheduled to uh, start in earnest on January 1st of 2024. And you're going to see exports really face prejudice if they're not subject to a coherent carbon price. Okay. And so our industrials are really uh, productive sectors need to be uh, producing with the lowest carbon intensity possible. And even the, the U.S. that has really extraordinary partisan divisions mm -hmm. is aligned, bipartisan, bipartisanly aligned on things like border carbon adjustments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so with that in mind, we need to look at what can we do realistically to facilitate the lowest energy emission intensity possible. Um, and in that regard, we can't have fuelism. We cannot try and eliminate all forms of energy. I think there's general agreement that coal-fired electricity generation is feasible to phase out based on the experience of Saskatchewan and the Boundary Dam mm -hmm. and where uh, Nova Scotia is going yep. with its lighted 
coal-fired generation, but natural gas still plays a role. Mm-hmm. And looking at how we produce from natural gas with the absolute lowest emissions intensity and reliability mm-hmm. and affordability mm-hmm. is going to be very important. And bringing that diversity of knowledge and supply and resource to other countries around the world. So where should we, we should be playing at? We should be yeah. playing as a leader, not as a follower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think these are key elements where we can play a role, particularly on methane, mm-hmm. on CCS, on a broader energy transition right. at a jurisdictional level, not at a project by project level. Mm-hmm. We can play a great role. So mm-hmm. I'd like to see us go and actually take the podium as a global leader in energy, uh, not uh, a recalcitrant, shame-based yeah. follower. Yeah, and so what's what's uh, what's keeping us from from uh, claiming that podium and, and claiming that position? I think we need to get engaged and actually have a position on Article yeah. Six of mm-hmm. the Paris Agreement, which is the cooperative market mechanism provisions. Right. Yeah, I think we need to get our own house in order, get past the federal provincial divide and mm-hmm. figure out how the federal government can support the provinces and the provinces can support the federal government in acting internationally in mutually uh, enlightened self-interest. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the key. Uh, and we can bring our industry to bear. There's been a lot of developments there. So electrification, for example, of steel production, mm-hmm. Yep. The Algoma project is yep. pretty interesting. Yeah. The electrification of transportation. We're doing okay. We've yeah. got some pretty fantastic announcements in around electric vehicle production, mm-hmm. battery plants mm-hmm. in the manufacturing heartlands of Ontario and Quebec. And we expect to see more uh, in that space going forward. Mm-hmm. Also, our mining operations are increasingly getting electrified because there's a dual benefit. There's the associated occupational health and safety benefit of electrification. And there's the related production and lower carbon production intensity of the mines and minerals and associated metals that we mine so well in Canada that are really uh, tantamount to all round life cycle assessment, lower carbon production. Right. So when you when you say we 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 should be looking at getting our house in order domestically is the 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 fact that we have uh, multiple different approaches in different jurisdictions to uh, pricing carbon, for example, uh, it, it, is that part of the part of the challenge here that that we have so many different approaches and we don't have a, a, a single co you know coordinated or or co- coherent um, market right now for 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 carbon. I think there's some fragmentation. Really, I do think it's quite feasible Mm -hmm. to knit together uh, provincial forms of carbon pricing that work in the context of that province. And one of the ways to do that is to have a common demand and supply of flexibility instruments like offsets. Mm -hmm. And so we've got a federal offset regulation in place, but we don't have demand for those federal offsets in all jurisdictions. And Alberta has its own offset system. British Columbia has a modified offset system. Ontario doesn't have an offset system. And looking how we can actually stitch them together Mm -hmm. with flexibility mechanisms that make sense 
and drive innovation throughout the country Mm. and increase affordability in the energy systems across the country. That's what we should be aiming for. And I think it's pretty feasible. We can do that without taking a really partisan stance. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I do really strongly believe in the power of markets for the end user in particular. Mm -hmm. And that's where the, that's where the rubber hits the road. You've been there. You know that Uh, Mm -hmm. customers actually are incredibly important, especially retail customers in how things will or won't work. Yeah. Yeah. Lisa, one of the things that, that I, I often ask people that come on the podcast is about their journey. And and I, I always make the joke when you were a, when you were a kid in the playground, um, is did did you always dream back then that this is what you would do? So, what was your journey from that playground to 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 the role that you you play today? Oh my goodness, what a question! Um, I think there was a time in my life where, um, as a ballerina, a young ballerina, I think. <laughs> You know, one of the career options was Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. And now I, uh, now I find myself, um, you know, really cheering for something. And that's effective climate action. I really do believe in the goals of the Paris Agreement. So yeah. getting there, I started out in science. Okay. Um, doing a graduate degree in environmental toxicology. And um, doing that followed by getting cross with what was going on mm-hmm. globally. Right. Quite pissed off, actually. Yeah. Um, it was a particular incident that got me angry that had me applying to law school on a whim. Oh. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Just around some marine issues and oil spills. And um, that led to me writing the LSAT. And if you're mathy, if you're in science, the LSAT is really fun mm-hmm. to write. And uh, it went well. And that's when I found out about Vermont Law School, which is um, a great program. And they offered me an incentive to attend. Wow. And my professors there were negotiating then the Kyoto Protocol. Um, oh, okay. Uh, or what would become the Kyoto right. Protocol. It was right, right after the UNFCCC mm-hmm. was uh, negotiated. And so had direct line to Senator Worth who was negotiating for the U.S., mm-hmm. became enamored with the whole concept of green markets, clean right. markets, and using right. a market instrument to affect an environmental goal. Yeah. Um, and really quite passionate about the whole mix of true capitalism with true conservatism or conservation mm-hmm. and related environmental outcomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. That was kind of the journey. I went to work for the attorney general in Ontario as an articling student and and then spun out into private practice about four years later after having drafted uh, the first uh, of the Knox and Sox market mechanisms. Oh, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. All right. So we we mentioned uh, COP28 coming up. Um, uh, How many COPs have you attended? Oh, that's a tough question. <laughs> um, or maybe maybe the easier question is yeah. how many how many did you miss? I missed uh, two Polands. So okay, I missed yeah. Warsaw and uh Poznan. Uh, okay. So those were kid issues. I think I've missed about three or four. So wow. Wow. Yeah, it's a bit of a sickness, right? 
It's an <laughs> addiction. And it, it is such a inside baseball activity. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, first of all, getting your cop legs and figuring out where you yep. need to be when. Yep. And then understanding the language. You know, none of it is normal language. Everything is spoken in three-letter acronyms and four-letter acronyms. Yep. And then understanding how the process works. And in the old days, I'd say it's it's tougher now, but in the old days, having the fortitude to, you know, go 48 hours straight, sleeping yeah. on a concrete floor for yeah. an hour and a half yeah. was a critical part of the job. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned getting your cop legs um, at the at, uh, uh, sessions that I've been at, getting my cop legs. Part of my cop legs uh, was uh, and, and, you know, and uh, and and is those uh, first thing in the morning briefings, the bingo briefings, the business um, um, and the industry, industry non-government yeah. organizations um, that you you were presenting uh at those bingo briefings and and um you know you you always have been playing a critical role in terms of helping uh all of these other people get their cop legs for the listener who you know hasn't been uh to to one of these insane events because they really are uh insane two weeks of 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 uh, of uh, of absolute insanity What's a day in a life look like for you at uh, at, at one of these things? Because I, I I know how in, incredibly busy you are because I you know I see you there. We get the briefing in the morning and then we bump into each other later in the day. And and uh, you're you're always you know racing from 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 one session to another. Uh, but what does a day in a life uh, typically look like for you at one of these these cop sessions? Yeah, that's a, a great question. Um, in terms of the beginning of the COP, the first few days, uh -huh. um, we're up usually at five. We go through what's called the daily program, which is published online, yep. uh, often in the very wee hours of the morning, and figure out strategically uh, between our team who should be where and what's happening and what's key, mm -hmm. because it's always an exercise in prioritization. There's so much that's important. So much happening, relative. yeah. Mm -hmm. You've got to figure out how to get, get things covered, and sometimes who to reach out outside of our team to get mm -hmm. things covered um, strategically. And then uh, we will get in or on the form of transportation. We try to stay within walking distance of the cop, which is not always possible. Yeah. So we get in a walk or bike to the cop, which is a moment of sanity. Um, and then we walk into the bingo briefing, mm -hmm. uh, which is usually held by the International Chamber of Converse, uh, Commerce and mm -hmm. We listen to what everybody else thinks is relevant and then usually contribute there as to what we think is relevant. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes we lead those briefings, usually one or two days, and then we disperse and participate. Uh, for the last several years, I've been one of the negotiators on Article 6. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole separate process for me. Right. Uh, there's a figuring out where I need to be and where what I need to be prepared to negotiate and what drafts I need to negotiate. And so you're negotiating on behalf of of Canada or on behalf of a, a specific group? The last two years, I've been unofficial uh, support for the Canadian delegation uh, to yep. very talented negotiators. But yep. I just bring to bear, well, 10 years ago, this is why this issue is arising. Right. And, yep. you know, so you might yeah. want to think about, yeah. you know. Or I think I see a typo here, a little mm -hmm. OCD. Uh, I don't think they meant to say that. And and also we pr bring some market pragmatism to the process. This mm -hmm. doesn't work from right. a finance or bankability perspective. Mm -hmm. This doesn't work from mm -hmm. your typical electricity generator 
perspective. Mm-hmm. You need to know that this is going to mean this in the practical world. Yeah. yeah. Um, things like revocation mm-hmm. or cancellation of approvals. It means you've just printed a dollar bill and you're about to tear it up. Yeah. It does not work you yeah. know, to get yeah. finance flowing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we attend usually all throughout the day. We're then in uh, dinners or cocktail parties or uh, specific delegation meetings. And then we do a brief every day. So we go back until about uh, one or two in the morning. We're drafting that. We hit mm-hmm. send to a group of uh, clients. And then the whole thing starts again. It inclu- including us. Yeah. We're, we always get those briefings as well there. And they're they're always timely, and I'm always amazed that that uh, that the team manages to to pull this material <laughs> material together, uh, given you know given given how immediate uh, the information usually tends to be that we get in those briefings. So you're oh, so you're you're no, but so you're probably hitting send it at one a.m. local time, and then the cycle starts again at five. Yeah, it's usually between one and two, and then the cycle starts again at five. <laughs> and the last uh, last few days of the conference, usually it goes around the night. So uh, one of us is in negotiations till six, seven, you know, eight in the morning, and the hitting send will get done from the COP facility itself, from the negotiations themselves. So we right. try and rotate who's pulling the all-nighter. <laughs> Right. So those are those are the 48 hour days that you were talking about. It's usually yeah. at yeah. the tail end of those. Wow. Wow. One of the things that uh, that I know you're also involved in is is uh, AIDA, uh, your chair of the of the board at AIDA. That's right. That's yeah. Right. So m- maybe for the listener, uh, a little bit about what AIDA is and and also like how critical uh, is getting a, um, a, a trading regime uh, in place, how important is that going to be over the long term? So AIDA is the International Emissions Trading Association. I think I was one of the original members way back when, and it is, it's a fantastic global organization with about 320 very high profile members Mm -hmm. that really has as its purpose to facilitate compliance and other markets to achieve the Paris goals very, very rigorously uh, focused on that environmental integrity mm-hmm. and achieving it through markets. And my vision is very aligned. I think if we don't, we don't go with markets, if we go with just a straight command and control yeah. regulatory approach, you're going to see increased costs, very mm-hmm. significant increased costs. In fact, AIDA commissioned the University of Maryland to do some mathematical modeling and the overall uh, related costs are estimated to be $250 billion per year mm. of higher costs, which translates to lower ambition yeah. or slower timelines yeah. and trade fragmentation. Yeah. If you have certain jurisdictions meeting their targets and related obligations and others not, you can expect to see these one-off related trade measures right. being employed. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, I think it's really critical. And, and we've proved that in other markets. Mm-hmm. If you look at Knox and Sox. Yeah. Overcomplied. Yeah. Much cheaper. It went from $2,000 a ton for SO2 to about $2 a ton within a five-year span. 
Mm-hmm. Scrubbers became de rigueur, mm-hmm. was not an issue. And entities that were able to comply faster were able to provide a service right. to their colleagues in the sector. Right. And right. that's so, kind of the beauty of it. Yeah. So you're not taking this on faith. You've actually you've actually seen this because you've, you've been involved. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Okay. And domestic tra- trading systems have worked well too. California right. worked yep. well. Yeah. Ontario was working well yeah. before it was canceled. Yeah. Quebec, I understand, is working very well right. as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Hmm. One of the things that you mentioned early on when you talked about um, the areas of practice for, for your firm, you mentioned um, Indigenous. Interested to, to hear kind of where, where that fits. Recent guests on, on the podcast have included uh, uh, Nilo Edwards and, and Guy Lonechild. So, so uh, we've been talking a lot about um, the, the, the role that uh, in Indigenous uh, communities uh, are, are going to need to play uh, for the energy transition. What does your practice in that space look like? Practice is really focused on resurgence of Indigenous communities and facilitating uh, a very significant role for Indigenous rights holders in energy and climate-related infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So uh, equity positions, uh, equity ownership, and facilitating uh, Indigenous procurement in and around electricity transmission assets, uh, natural gas distribution, and transmission assets, facilitating a hardcore seat at the table. Mm-hmm. So the indigenous voice is not just heard, but seen as critical and part of the solution to climate. Mm-hmm. And in certain areas, there's a very strong argument that the indigenous guardianship in and around conservation and nature-based climate solutions is critical aspect of the solution. And they've done a great job at Mm -hmm. being guardians of those resources since time immemorial. Right. So if you look at any treaties associated with indigenous rights or Aboriginal rights writ large, there's a strong argument that those rights to carbon were never ceded. So in areas where there's significant role for Indigenous uh, First Nations, Métis, interest writ large, rights holders writ large, mm-hmm. there's an argument that they have sui generis rights, mm-hmm. carbon, and looking at how we respect and accommodate and uh, acknowledge those rights is really important. So we represent another of them, uh, mm-hmm. First Nations, yep. the four energy regulators, Mm-hmm. And often in a quite cooperative and um, sustainable development role, very okay. principled yeah. role. So I'm really honored and privileged to be working with and learning from the First Nations that we work with. Mm-hmm. Cool. Listen, um, the, the final question I ask everybody that comes onto the podcast is for a book. Uh, book recommendation and we actually assemble all of the book recommendations from all of the guests and and we've got our our flux capacitor uh, book club our, our reading list so lisa what book uh would you add to uh to our reading list today i would add wait softly 
brother by Catherine Kutenbrauer to that list. She is a fantastic Canadian writer. The book was long listed for the Giller Prize. So I had the honor of hearing her do a reading from the book uh, last Sunday. Mm-hmm. And really, it's a treat. I, I've been having trouble putting it down. So Wait Softly, Brother, by Catherine Kutenbrauer. Wait Softly, Brother, by Catherine Kutenbrauer. All right. We will add that to uh, our, our Flux Capacitor book club list. Uh, and check that out. It's amazing. Yeah, well, you'll 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 find I don't know. Uh, I think this is uh, episode eighty-five, so you'll you'll find uh, eighty-four other recommendations uh, for for books. So yeah, absolutely, give it, a, give it a look. Lisa, thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to to join the podcast. It was it was great to catch up a little more casually and for a longer period of time than usually our very quick conversations running uh, through airport terminals or, or uh, on the on the margins of conferences and workshops. So I really appreciate you sitting down for a, a, an extended conversation. A pleasure's all mine. Always a pleasure to chat with you, Francis. Thanks for joining me for this episode of The Flux Capacitor. Tune in for future episodes. Please take the time to rate the podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to. And let me know what you think of The Flux Capacitor. You can find me on Twitter or X as at Brad Bradley. The website for this pod is thefluxcapacitor.ca, and it includes links for this episode on the show page, this being episode 85. And while you're there, check out the book club page, which provides info and links to the books which have been recommended by guests on the Flux Capacitor, including Lisa's recommendation, Wait Softly Brother by Catherine Kutenbrauer. And let's continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca.